Welcome to the Digital Transformationists podcast. On this episode, we talk with industry luminary Parul Saini. With more than 15 years working in some of the most exciting companies in the world, including Director of Information Technology at Splunk, Parul has had a front row seat to how innovation and technology are changing every facet of our lives. She talks with G-Love and Christian on the big lessons of big data, how AI is already transforming our daily interactions, going from the age of search to the age of suggestion, and how machine learning could one day make a hit record. Today's episode is brought to you by Botron Atlassian Apps, an app fire company. Botron recently partnered with Jira expert and Atlassian community leader, Rachel Wright, to create the ultimate guide to Jira migrations. It's packed with checklists, worksheets, and expert-level guidance to help organizations move from Jira server to data center or cloud with confidence. You can learn more and download your free copy by searching for Botron eBook in your favorite search engine or going to botron.io slash podcast. Gary, good morning. It's good to see you again. Good morning, Christian. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, man. Uh, let's talk about big data. I, um, I have some. Uh, I have some. 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 Some statistics. Oh, do you? What that, you got? Uh, Katie, our producer, sent. It's an article from Forbes uh-huh. about data. I'm just going to read off a couple to get us going here. We sent okay. 16 million text messages every minute. A minute? There's 990,000, for all you single people out there, Tinder swipes per minute. <laughs> okay? Um, every minute, this is for all you people that are working hard on your computer. Every minute there are 103,447,520 spam emails sent. It's pretty precise. 520. Okay. Ven- Venmo processes 51,000 peer-to-peer transactions. Here's, here's, here's one that shows you about my industry. All those big numbers, and Spotify adds only 13 new songs per minute. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> we're, we're producing a lot of data, and that's everywhere from like the consumer and its interactions with the kinds of services you described, down to all the machines and network equipment and thing, and apps running on, on uh, either on physical servers, perhaps less and less and more on the cloud, we're generating tons of data, something like 2.5 quintillion bytes daily. And all that data, um, you know, if you process it, if you look at it, analyze it, it can actually provide information. Um, and that's kind of a little bit of the topic we want to talk about today. Um, in, in music, there are, there are certain patterns and progressions and things that sound good to us. An example of that is, is the blues, one, four, five, right? Yeah, well, basically, that, 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 yeah, well that's basically, um, if I was going to show uh, per- Parole um, how to play, if she didn't know, I w- and I was going to say, well, let me teach you how to play every rock and roll and pop song ever written. Mm-hmm. I would teach her three chords. Uh, mm-hmm. G, C, and D, <laughs> and that would pretty much get her everything from like you know, uh, twist and shout to uh, wild thing to uh, you know whatever Beyonce's latest hit is. Right. You know what I mean, right. But yeah, so yeah. Well, it's these it's these patterns and 
harmonics that, uh, that, that sound good, we can really look for patterns in data as well. And when the pattern is off, know that something might be wrong or maybe even that something's actually going perhaps better. But patterns allow us to understand uh, data and process it, manipulate it, and, and extract information. Actually, so, I just have, I, sorry, I just have one other musical mm-hmm. uh, data thing I had read a couple of weeks ago that just popped into my head was uh, that they, they used, they did a, da- a, a data crunch um, and, and to what makes a hit song. Right. Right. But they, they did it around the lyrics and, and the lyric contained most hit songs. You saw that? Did you say that? Oh, yeah. You. I don't think I did, but I did. Yeah. I watched it. And, and it was you and it was um, the certain use of, of the word you like, mm-hmm. you know, I would die for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I would die for you. It has to be that type of usage. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, things resonate. Patterns matter. Yeah. Um, so let's let's introduce parole. Perul, good morning. Uh, Perul is um, out on the West Coast, uh, Director of Information Technology over at Splunk. Uh, thanks so much for getting early and joining us. And by way of introduction, this is Garrett Dutton, Mr. G. Love. Nice Hi, to Garrett. meet you, Perul. Nice Hi, to meet you as well. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. So data, uh, we're amassing tons of it and trying to extract information out of it. That requires a lot of processing. And, you know, more and more, we're becoming more and more data-centric in terms of our decision-making. Um, tell us, you know, you've had a, a, a huge, phenomenal career uh, going back through your early days at Data Consultancy to Adobe to PwC, Zora, now Splunk. What, what have you learned along the way about data? Gosh. Um, let's see. When we lived in the world of you know, data center when cloud didn't exist, when real-time processing didn't exist the way it exists today. Uh, data was analyzed more in a static way after the fact. Right. So when, you know, in, in my days of when I was a systems engineer, if there was an issue, I had to go look at logs to figure out after the fact and trace patterns of activity across the systems. So much noise. So much noise and wasn't, was it easy to do because I didn't have a parsing tool that I could just feed all the sources into and look at sort of, to your point, a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so that was my early interaction with mm-hmm. data, trying to understand who touched my systems, what happened, was it legitimate exercise or not? Um, also, you know, the uptime, you, you, you talked about uptime in, in one of the questions, so uptime of systems and staying on top of it. Um, and when I was an engineer, I actually used alerting on my systems in a way that I could predict or in mm-hmm. a, like just by looking at how the logs were generated and what mm-hmm. kind of alerts I, would get, I was getting, I could predict if a system was going to go down just right. by looking at that. But it was so manual. I literally had to look at my logs on a continuous basis to, to predict that. Mm-hmm. Over a period of time, as you know, the tools sort of progressed and became more mature, it made our lives easy. So what I learned about data was not only you can make your systems more stable, mm-hmm. predict what is going to happen in terms of the uptime or availability of the system, right. but also today we are using data to make a lot of business decisions as well, right? right? So right. there is a lot that we can do with data. And I, I this morning I learned so much about how data is used in music. I had no idea. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that is something I will, I will look into after this episode, learn more about that. 
Well, yeah, if you can, if you can crunch some some more numbers, Perul, and and get down to more detail on how to create the perfect hit song, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. You know, I will. <laughs> I will try to do that. <laughs> Well, I was trying to think through my uh, to the my memory banks of the of G's catalog. Do you have some songs that uh, titled you? Uh, whew, um, I'm putting you on the spot here. I know, put me on. We'll um, come back to you. Yeah, come back to me on that. <laughs> Sorry, parole. You're saying? Oh no, I was I was just saying challenge accepted, Garrett. Challenge I'm, accepted. I'm, sure can, <laughs> I'm sure we can build a machine learning model to be able to do that. But you you, you brought up a really good point. We, we used data just to understand things after the fact and really log files, machine type stuff. And we could say, well, over the past two years, because we've indexed and analyzed all these logs, we see a pattern and you know, perhaps we can say July 4th of 2021, something's going to happen uh, because it's a holiday or who knows, right? Sometimes those things coincide. Um, and as we advanced that ability um, to the business space, what kind of examples do you have in terms of how we can perhaps apply this kind of technology to, to get some predictive on uh, predictive analytics on business? It's, it's used in many different ways. I think an example that I picked that I wanted to talk about today was risk and fraud detection, just mm-hmm. because financial systems are becoming more and more common, right? And it's in the news, especially after last year. And this is an area of expertise for, for my, what my husband does. So I'm right. intimately familiar with with that area. So risk and fraud detection has become um, an area for financial systems where they're increasingly using machine learning models. Um, What that means is we can't look at data and look at a user activity. So for you, Christian, I can uh, look at what kind of transactions you're making on a weekly basis. Where Mm -hmm. are those transactions being made? And I can analyze your patterns over a period of year. Mm -hmm. And I know whether you are a high risk customer or low risk customer. Mm -hmm. And if there is an anomaly today, you're spend, you're using your credit card in Bay area and tomorrow you're using it in Germany. That is, or maybe an hour later, you're using it in Germany. That is an anomaly. That is a risk and a fraud that we can flag in systems. And the more data you generate over a period of time, the more the models can learn, the more intelligent they can become. And if you think about it in terms of business terms, the companies can use this data to reduce fraud. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge sort of number when it comes to bottom line revenue that they lose mm-hmm. by fraud. So that mm-hmm. is one of the examples of how data is used and you know, to your point in terms of how we can make intelligent systems that can predict something that would happen before it happens. Wow. Very cool. So, 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 just to be clear, that's 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 a form of AI. That is a form uh, of AI. Okay. That is correct. And so, oh, this is. And Garrett, I have another example of AI for you that you would appreciate. There is um, there is a system that was released last year called GPT three. It's a machine learning model model. Um, language processing machine learning model. You can actually feed it some information and it can generate the rest of the text for you. So if you want to train that model to write um, hit <laughs> lyrics for you, okay. you could actually do that. I have not wow. tried it personally, but I've seen GPT-3 generate articles that are being published now. But that oh. is that is a, a text generate that you can try and produce your you know, hits 
hit lyrics okay. with. So, so that so so we have a kind of a basic form of that on our on our iPhones, right? When we're sending a text message, you can just pick the next word that's coming. Text. So, so that's that same thing, but on a lot more detailed uh, level. So actually, just so they're making they're publishing articles. So then who gets the writing credit for publishing those articles? <laughs> you know, that is a question that I don't think I am, I am, I am the right person to answer. But okay. I think the machine and the human both get credit because you are the one feeding the data or, or having the, the model to do something. Mm. But at yeah. the end of the day, yes. Oh, at the end of the day, it is you as a human being that's directing the machine to get you the output you want. So I think the credit goes to both both parties. There's, there's conversations happening out there about this particular topic, right? Can, uh, can AI and machine learning and all this eventually, you know, actually be creative, right? Um, that's, you know, I'm not sure how threatening it is to your career, uh, G, but ho hopefully it won't come around fast enough. Well, I, you know, I've, actually, if you look behind me, right over my shoulder, this painting right here, just on mm -hmm. this very topic, that's by this street artist named Ka Katsu, K-A-T-S-U. And mm -hmm. actually, that's a f AI painting because uh, he programs his drone, right? Mm -hmm. And the drone's trying to paint a picture of Marilyn Manson. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, not Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Marilyn Manson was in the papers last week, you but... You could have uh, said anybody. Yeah, but, 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 but that's supposed to be Marilyn, the, the, the drone's AI version of Marilyn Monroe. So um, that's, that's a real-life application. <laughs> but another, another, um, another bite I just read was that 90% of the world's data, or 90% of data, 90% of the data in the world was generated in the last two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it looks like you're in the right business. <laughs> yes. This is yeah, a good time to be in the business of data for sure. For sure. Data is very powerful. And if you if you've um sort of paid attention to what the social media platforms do, they can actually create your entire life based on the data patterns that they can pick out of the systems that you're using, right? So being able to track what you do, being able to predict what your behaviors are now and what they're going to be, it's very powerful that they can uh, create that entire life for you using your data. Well, thanks to, thanks to big data, we also have the ability to understand the human genome. We've been able to, to, to develop uh, antivirals and vaccines and everything uh, very fast, thanks to technology and, and the ability to, to compute and process data. Um, do you have any other ideas on on how uh, uh, how big data can be leveraged? Uh, maybe it's, they're outside of like the social media space, or uh, maybe, you know, biotech's. I mean, is, is going to be huge. We got this next. One of the wave. examples that I was looking at recently was uh, looking at this labor statistics data over the period of last ten years to see how many hourly wage workers in a certain state make make less than uh, minimum wage and how has that changed over a period of time as the economic situations have changed right so that that is one example of how you can use the data i think today in today's day and age after covid it's become especially important to be able to predict those patterns 
um, as the job market mm-hmm. is becoming tough, it's, it's going to get easier, but it is right now very tough. So where do you concentrate your effort? Like if government was trying to concentrate their effort, mm-hmm. where do you concentrate your effort to create jobs more in the short term? Where is the biggest need and pain point, right? So that, that would be another example of how data can be used. Cool. I mean, it seems like, um, it seems like with all the, with all the data that, that's available, right? I mean, how come it just, it's a tremendous asset and, and tool to just solve so many problems that the world faces. You just said like the job crisis. I mean, everything's being crunched constantly. You'd think there would be more people tuning in and, and listening to what the data is saying and actually saying, okay, this is the heart of the problem. And this is, this is the fix. I mean, it's like, it's the data is in a sense providing us with a roadmap to how we can improve so many, um, just so many parts of our, our world and the human, literally the human existence, you know, so. In, in VR, uh, you know, a lot of companies do that in the, in the back end. They may not be able to share that more um, commonly or openly, right? Because the data is at the heart of ev- every uh, technological and innovation that you see happening in the world right now. Uh, self-driving cars is an example. It is possible because of a technology called machined vision, which is actually taking images of the environment and training model, uh, training models based on those images. So that is a lot of data that those companies have to, to deal with and train the systems with. So there, there is a, a lot more activity definitely happening in that space over the last 10 years, right? Because processing power uh, in the systems is very important to for us to be able to process data. So as the processing power is becoming more and more readily available, data crunching is becoming easier. So that is another trend that's actually taken off in the last 10 years, Why? And which is why we are talking more about machine learning or AI models now than in the past. So, so another question I have is, um, so how, how do large parts of the kind of world population that don't have access to the internet, that don't have... Uh, an iPhone attached to their fingertips every second of the day. How do, how do they, are, are they going to get lost? Are, are they going to get lost in the shuffle? I mean, because if there's no one recording their data, right? That's the po- po- of it's poverty. I mean, you know, how are these people not going to get lost? A lot of developing countries, and I can speak about India, um, if, if you um, remember, there was a demonetization wave that happened in India a few years back. Mm-hmm. During that wave, uh, there was an attempt by the government to create something to the effect of social security numbers, much like what we have in the US. They're creating that kind of identity, identity number, identity, identification for um everyone that lives in india to give them that unique id and put more emphasis on uh, digitizing the financial systems that existed there um everyone in india as an example has access to cell phones now because yep. the companies there have invested in building out that network reliance industries is one such uh, industry they started working on creating this you know network of cell phones uh, 12 years back, I believe, and they've done really, really well over the years. Mm. So developing countries actually are in a better situation to create that infrastructure that's needed to support um, the the advent of internet or access of internet to people 
it is still in progress, but they are on the right track to be able to do that. Mm. So we won't necessarily leave anyone behind. It's a matter of, uh, you know, developed countries helping developing countries get there faster, which is mm. continuing to happen. The, the, the lines are getting closer together mm. and the, you know, the restrictions are, are being lifted a little bit, if you will. So, Pro, one of the things that uh, you've been responsible for is the collaboration uh, tools. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing in that space? And obviously, in, and I, don't, I was telling Garrett leading up to this, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on, you know, the changes we made to work from home and COVID because we just, we've talked about it so much. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of it, really, but as we all are. But what, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the, in the collaboration space and how, how, how important are these tools becoming? Um. I think it's the the COVID situation last year has brought increased awareness around these tools, right? How important these tools are. Zoom, as an example, that we are using right now, um, and it's taken some of the fear away from the tools. There was always an emphasis for face-to-face human interaction before COVID, but now that that option has been taken away, the collaboration tools are becoming a part of life, and it's actually people are finding it's actually easier to connect with a lot more people on Zoom. Mm. Um, than meeting them face to face in a day, so that so that fear has been taken away. The other thing that I'm noticing, at least in my world, is it's becoming very important to measure productivity. How are we spending our time? Are we spending our time on the right things? And again, it goes back to the point of data. How do I collect data to be able to predict that, or actually assess in in real time if you're doing the right things? So there is a need for more tools to emerge in that category. Uh, th- so that, that is a thing that I'm seeing as a gap. So for existing uh, technology stacks that we have like Atlassian Stack and Jira, which is already used for task management to a large extent and managing projects to a very large extent. Mm-hmm. If we were to make these tools a little bit smarter and they could do much like a predictive analytics of the data in a system for a specific project, and predict what the patterns would be for a certain team that's working on a project, I think that would be really helpful for people like me. So I I would like to see more happen in that space. Um, The other other sort of uh, need that I saw emerging last year was around uh, a social media platform, but for corporations or companies, Mm -hmm. right? So right now we have social media platforms like Facebook that has a lot of our personal information I would not want to necessarily share that with my colleagues. And then we have LinkedIn, which is a lot of professional information, Mm -hmm. but it's very professional. There has to be a middle ground. So if you're going to be digital first or remote first or virtual first, how do you get to know the other individual? There has to be something in the middle that I can share with my colleagues, which is outside of just the LinkedIn profile, a little bit Mm -hmm. more about me. Mm-hmm. but not so much that I'm letting them in my personal life, right? So mm-hmm. I, I feel like that platform is something that's missing. Well, there you, there you go. Let's <laughs> let's start working on it now and make a quintillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add a music component to it, Garrett. I think that will be, that will be the differentiator. Well, for us, Slack has filled that, um, at least in our company. Um, there, are, you know, there are channels that are specific to, uh, we've got one called COVID Stocks Stay Strong. And folks, uh, and folks just go there and, and share pictures of what they're doing over the weekend, what their plans are, and just doing things to kind of just keep people, 
you know, looking forward to the good things and the positive things and encouraging each other, you know, through it. And whether people bring in personal things or not, it's kind of up to them. Uh, but for us, uh, so, you know, the social part of our business is largely in Slack outside of like, you know, Zoom, you know, calls and stuff like that. Um, I was, I, I listened, I don't know if you're, if you saw it or not, but um, um, Scott and Mike uh, from Atlassian just did a podcast, um, How I Built This, NPR. Uh, if you get a chance, get, yeah, give it a listen. It's really good. But they, they touched on, you know, the fact that everyone can work from home now and going permanently, but they still want to give people the space to work in an office if that's what they choose to do. And also focus on the importance of uh, human interaction being on, on to connect, not necessarily to work. Right. So we're we need to connect to work, but that's not like the human piece necessarily, you know, uh, but the, you got to create space for connection. Um, what do you what do you think the, the post pandemic world will be like? Uh, will we will we get together just for cocktails and then just go back to the Zoom and and Jira to work or? Yeah, I, I think um, there will be more of a hybrid model. And I'm sure you guys would have talked about this at your previous mm-hmm. podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way companies will design systems and tools or um, j- just basic productivity tools and they will think about securing the, their environment would be based on virtual first because that makes you think about the different use cases and scenarios, right? So the emphasis would be going virtual first, but the operating model would be hybrid because you do want to give people option to go to office to have that human interaction. Um, but that will be an option that would not be a necessity as it yeah. is today. Yeah. Um, and in terms of resources, I think the I see uh, corporations become more and more amendable to having more re- remote resources so we can tap into a more diverse workforce. And I think that diversity will help us uh, in a really, really good way. The, the other thing for leaders, especially like me, will have to learn a whole new skill of tapping into that EQ that we've built over the years, but we have to take it to another level because now we are working with people that are remote and we have to make sure that there is a connection between the team members, the old and new. They are feeling motivated, encouraged and connected Mm -hmm. with the team. And also they continue to feel like they're part of a team. And that is something that I have to do a lot more with my team now as I have to in the past. It's very easy to do that when everybody's co-located, very hard to do when you're doing it remotely. So we have to develop this, this another skill. We have to hone in and tune into like the human emotions and actually help support the teams in the right way mm. so that they feel like they're part of one big system. They're moving towards the right goals. Mm. So I think, I think that is something that uh, leaders will need to pay more attention to on how to develop that skill even more yeah it kind of comes back to like the whole um it's kind of a theme i keep coming back to not to be negative but yeah like you can imagine that some people right are not going to be able to um i mean you have to change with the times obviously but if some people are not self-motivated right it's a tremendous time of self-motivated like you have to if you're no one's watching over your shoulder if you need a boss over there He's not he or she is not here. <laughs> You're your own boss, so it's uh, yeah. It, it, and it kind of brought me back to a question I had. Um, just uh, to that point, you know, like um, 
you, you can track people's productivity, right? I mean, that's, I mean, do you, and so are, for instance, in the workplace, um, are people tracking or companies, are they tracking the, you know, tracking the data of the productivity of, of their teams? Um, it gets complicated if you want to track it like that because productivity can be defined many different ways, right? Wait, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, like, could, could, is there tools to say, oh, well, look, uh, G was doing the podcast, but he acted like he was, but actually he was on Facebook for uh, that whole last segment. Like, can you track people like that? I'm sure it's possible, yeah. but that is not what corporations typically do because then we get into the issue of privacy of data uh-huh. right at the end of the day anyone that's working for a company is if you're looking at say they're accessing facebook that's their private data so we have to be cautious in terms of what do we track and to what extent do we track it um if we were to get data from different sources and log it into a real-time system and sort of predict try to predict productivity, I'm sure it's possible. It's a matter of whether or not it's the right thing to do, right? The, the other uh, complication we have there is how would you measure productivity? So if you were spending an hour on this podcast, do I quantify that as productive or do I quantify that as non-productive? Could you have wrapped up this podcast in 30 minutes? Do I want to add Christian? efficiency? Really? <laughs> I told you. Let's just say, right? I was trying to get him to do it longer. You, you also want to, you know, focus on outcomes, right? More than anything, as opposed to what are you spending your, is it you spend time on Facebook or not? Like at the end of the day, who cares as long as you're getting okay. the outcomes that you're looking for? Um, we can measure to some extent um, productivity type things in something like Jira in a software development context. You can, you can look to see how much, uh, how much work is getting done in favor or in service to getting features out to making the product better, right? So you start to drive your team towards just building a better product, right? And, and looking for specific outcomes um, towards building a better product. And that's what you start to really focus on. Uh, but, you know, something like Jira, we can, we can understand velocity in, in the case of story points and how many units you're cranking out to get something released every two weeks. So th- there's ways of looking producti- at productivity in the, in the tooling. But again, well, that's the case that can help you help you understand capacity and things like that. But I think that the general thing is to focus. The general intent is to focus on outcomes more than anything. Yeah, that's a good and, way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, and let and let let people, you know, do what they need to do to get to that outcome. Sure. Right, and give people some flexibility and some room to mm. to explore their own boundaries and, and what they can really bring to the team or the company. So so. Pearl kind of touched on towards the beginning how we used to look at log files to look at things after the fact. And in those days, we had more room and time to figure out root cause and to get a system back up and running because our SLA was in service of day-to-day users within the business on an eight-to-five schedule, right? Um, Now, the demands are that I can move money from one savings account to another when I want to, whether it's because I'm up at five in the morning or uh, because I just need to buy something uh, right now, this second, whatever that might be. So the expectations of availability of the services that we're bringing and, and how we go, you know, how we conduct business has changed dramatically, right? I used to worry about my shop being open from eight to six, and that's when you could buy my widgets at my store. Well, now 
all that has moved online. And again, you know, if someone wants to buy something at two in the morning, like it better work at two in the morning, right? So that's, that is driving a lot of these pressures to always be on. And with that, you know, we need great tools and technologies to do so. Um, we kind of talked about it in our last episode with Daniel. Um, ultimately, as, as, the, as the bottleneck moves around, it comes back down to humans, humans' ability to support systems. So maybe we can talk about automation. We can talk about other things that we're doing to augment and, and strengthen our abilities without so much reliance on humans, right? I, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and we have been in the corporate world, we have been designing to support systems for globally for a very long time now. Um, I would say since 2000s, that's how every system is designed. Yep. SLA, the, the SLA that I was uh, held accountable to from the very beginning of my career was, you know, three nines because mm -hmm. we were serving sort of our, all the companies were global, take Adobe sure. as an example when I was there. Um, it becomes easier now in my mind for us to be able to hire a workforce that is more global. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to have my team work in night shifts as an example that mm -hmm. is based in Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, and it's a very common thing for any engineer to be on call. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The, 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 the traded in one location and have them on call. And if I only have two people in my team, they're constantly on call right, right. Mm. um so with my ability to hire people across the globe if we are truly creating a virtual first environment we're building tools systems and processes to enable a remote workforce it becomes easier for me to hire people remotely onboard them in a very effective way make them part of a team that is working effectively and then enable that follow the sun or global support model more easily. So I think that's super helpful. And it, it, in, in my case, because I also support collaboration um, services for different geographical locations, right. having a support person in EMEA present there locally to support the people because he understand, he or she will understand the culture better is, is very helpful for somebody like me to have a support person that can actually connect to people in that location. So that is just becoming easier. Um, with us going remote first to virtual first. So one thing uh, about following the sun, um, in the world of critical care, um, ICUs and things like that, the one of the riskiest times is actually at, at the transition of care from one caregiver to another, right? Um, you know, the nurse, the PA, the doctor, and a lot of what they do is just, they spend a lot of time and effort on that, on that handoff because that's where the most risk is introduced. How, what can you share about good handoffs um, so that you're not dropping the baton or the ball, as they say, mm. you're handing off to EMEA and then EMEA handing off to Asia or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more pertinent when we are rolling out new tools. So one of the things that we did at Splunk was um, enable Zoom. This was, or roll out mm -hmm. Zoom. This was almost three years back now. So we have, in order to support uh, people in these different geographical locations when they're rolling out new tools, we create support systems um, such as channels on Slack, such as uh, doing a handoff to your point using checklist to support staff that is helping us across the globe, such as creating Zoom sessions so that people can uh, join in and ask questions and we train the users on the new tools that we're rolling out. 
but a lot of it is dependent on us being very crisp in the checklist or the hands-off checklist. Uh, it's such an old school, simple tool, checklist. <laughs> and I think any operations person has to, has to live by checklists because Absolutely. you can do the same job for many, many years. You will guaranteed you'll forget one step. Yeah. Right, yeah. which is or the they get distracted at one moment and exactly. just, did I or not do that step? I don't know, or forget all the other. Yeah, exactly. So that is that is important. Uh, but now the tools today are are actually quite intelligent, right? So mm -hmm. the checklist can take the the shape of our task list in Jira. So the handoff right. could be just adding a comment for the next person to pick up and run with. Um, so it's becoming more and more easy. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about in terms of the tools, right? Existing set of tools for, uh, for enabling work going forward have to become smarter. They're very good right now, mm -hmm. but they have to become smarter. So one of the things that I was talking about earlier was predictive analytics right. to uh, predict productivity in a system like Jira as an example. But, but what about moving from search to suggestion? So what I mean by that is so far we were living in the age of search, right? Google is a very powerful engine. And if I need answers to anything, I will search it um, in Google and I will get an answer. But now with the advent of AI, we are moving from the age of search to get our answers to suggestion. I have intelligent tools or I should have intelligent tools that should tell me what to do next. I shouldn't even think about it. Mm. So when that time comes, Christian, the checklists will be created by the AI tools and not wow. by human beings anymore. Wow. And that AI tool will take care of the transition piece. That actually wow. might be a good idea for us to work on. <laughs> <laughs> now well, that I think about it. You're not gonna have to think about anything. It's gonna well, keep telling you... you what to do next. Okay, I suggest. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, if wow. you hadn't heard, you'll be happy to hear that Atlassian's introducing AI uh, into their technology. So expect to see some good things there. I, I was not surprised that they were doing that. Yes. <laughs> right, 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 of course. <laughs> Very cool. So um, you, 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 you come from India. That's home is India. India's home. And you studied in India. How has is, how is, uh, that shaped your, your approach on, on, on business and life and technology, you know, coming into the Bay Area. Um, I, I asked this because my family's from Mexico and a lot of my, my culture and my ways of thinking are rooted in very much in that way. And I think it gives me a different perspective perhaps and, and kind of approach on things. Tell us how, how, how this has shaped you and, and how you see the, the world maybe differently than most other Silicon Valley folks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, so Indian culture, I think, is very similar to Mexican culture, right? Okay. We have big families and family is the most important thing. True. So one of the things that I took away from my culture as I moved to U.S. was always put people first, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all about people. Your family right. is, your friends, who you work with. Work will always get done, but who mm -hmm. is doing the work and what kind of connections you're making with people yeah. is the most important thing because that will last forever. Work is point in time. So that is my approach to anything I do in life, which is the, the connections, the relationships and people is the most important thing for me. Mm -hmm. And on that foundation, you can build anything else. 
Um, and moving to California, I think, was just something that I, I feel like I got very fortunate with because of any place in the in, in US that I would have picked to move, it was California. And the transition was just super easy because oh, wow. not for a minute, I felt like I was away from home. Um, the, the colleagues that I had here, the support system that I found, I didn't miss my family. I, could, I had my, my own mini family here already when I moved to the mm. US. Um, and you know, I, I realized California truly is a melting pot because I could mm -hmm. have friends from such, you know, from, from countries that I would have never come across if I was not in California. Right. And right. learning from their experiences, from their unique perspectives, just opened this, you know, a path of learning for me that I wouldn't have had access to. And I think moving to US also made me realize the value of human life. Like in US, there was a lot of emphasis on the value of human life, which was, right. which was very interesting. And also this innate belief in human potential where anything and everything is possible, right? Like nothing is off limits. And I thought that was, that was just very, very empowering for me. So all oh. that really helped me shape my decisions and my career and in my life. That's so cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. And I guess landing in the Bay Area in your early 20s, I imagine, I imagine it was early 20s given uh, you were at Tata for a year and then came to the U.S. Uh, I imagine that's a great place to land, right? A lot of fun. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Yes. Very cool. Fun in a way, though. I was already working when I moved to U.S., so I didn't really have right. a lot of time for fun. <laughs> oh, okay. <All> right. <laughs> but it was good. It was good. So... Uh, Consulting firms like PwC and some like the big five types, or I don't know how many big it is these days. I think it was the big five when I was at least coming up. Uh, they, they tend to grind folks out. Was was that your experience? Were you, you getting pretty free will ground up? <laughs> yes, it was. But I chose that on purpose ah, because yeah. I, I did want to go to that training, right? Consulting is is uh, is a really great training ground because you have oh, yeah. to balance multiple things at the same time. You don't have luxury of waiting, right? So you're walking into a new client situation. You have to come up to speed with what was promised, what needs to be delivered, who are the players, building relationships, gaining trust, and then getting your job done. Well, plus different industries, different, uh, like competitive situations, um, sometimes winning companies, sometimes losing companies are trying to come around. Like, yeah, I tell people that, uh, consulting is, is like 20 careers in one. Exactly. It truly is. It truly is. So I actually love that experience. It was it, the, the hard for me is travel, right? I am a mm -hmm. homebody. I don't like to travel that much. Mm -hmm. I like to travel on my own terms. Um, but that, that was the hardest part. Yes, the job yeah. itself was, was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What was some of the, what was the, the coolest project you got to work on in your consulting days? So many, I got access to do so many different things, uh, mostly in the strategy space, things yeah. around organization design, things around mergers and acquisition assessment, um, you know, something like building service catalog, building processes, creating financial models, all of the work that I did, did was super fascinating. And I 
got to meet some of the you know the, the most brilliant people i would say yeah. <laughs> because they were just super smart and i learned, learned so much from them very cool any uh any music industry work in those, in those no, days no no <laughs> garrett you may think of me if you <laughs> if you want anything I, done I absolutely will <laughs> So Garrett, I found a couple songs uh, with you in them. One's I Love You, and then Take You There. <laughs> okay, okay, my chance. <laughs> Take You There, that's right. <laughs> Were they both hits? Were they number one hits? No, mine? No. I've got a lot of near misses. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to get another set of lyrics using one of the AI models. <laughs> That could be a fun project. Um, maybe take like uh, the first handful of words any, of any line, feed them into this, what is it called, GDP3? GPT3. GPT3. I'm confusing with GDPR. GPT3. Uh, feed it. Let's see what it comes up with. And then, uh, you know, put the music <laughs> behind it and see what happens. Yeah, we can do it in real time. We should do it after this podcast live. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool, man. That'd be fun. Well, cool. So, uh, Perul, what are, you, what are you up to these days? How can people find you? Um, let's see. Just doing my job. Nothing unusual. Trying to, honestly, just waiting to take a vacation where I can actually go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ex- any place that is not my home at this point. Any, any road trips planned? Not at this point. We're really waiting for vaccines to be available more uh, commonly because of all the new variants that are coming up Mm, on a daily basis. So just be careful there. But I'm really, I I really want to go to a different place when things open up and take take like a, a real vacation. That's something that I'm really hoping to do. Yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, people can find me on LinkedIn using my name. I'm, you know, easily searchable and on Twitter as well. I don't tweet very much, but I think after this, I will start doing that. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> well, Perul, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, very insightful. Um, yeah, thank you much, uh, so much for sharing with us and, of course, getting up so early. Real good to see you. Thank you so much, Perul. It's, it was a, definitely a learning experience. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you both. It was fun being here. Thanks for listening to the Digital Transformationists podcast brought to you by Precipio Consulting. Be sure to visit our webpage to check out our other episodes, access show notes and links, and listen to some great bonus content. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. And tell a friend. We love making new friends. I'm executive producer Katie Thomas. Victor Vargas is our engineer. Alejandro Caballero is our editor. Thanks for tuning in.